Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. By the time that first Christmas rolled around, the narrative of the story of Israel had already reached the third millennium. It had already been 3,000 years of narrative that had been running on. And, and preceding immediately that moment when the angels break in uh, to Zechariah and Elizabeth and the official part of the nativity begins, the official part of the coming of the Christ child begins to unfold there is this reality, this sense of things that uh, it has been silent for an extended amount of time. And so after this long period, this long narrative that has gone on, there comes this period of silence. And I just want you to understand the impact and the importance of this reality that leading up to this moment has been the story of Israel, the story of prophets, the story of kings, uh, the, the, the narrative of the judges, the, the story of exile and restoration, and then this period of silence. And after 400 years of silence, when God finally begins to speak in the biblical narrative again, what is the message that he sends? What does he most want people to know? And he breaks into the world with this message, fear not. In fact, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. That combination, some form or another, appears more than any other command in all of Scripture. 365 times we are told again and again, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so on this Christmas Eve, in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of politics, in the midst of the craziness... I think God would look at you and I and say, do not be afraid. And specifically, thinking on this Christmas Eve about not being afraid of the future. And so I ask you early on in the service this question, in what way are you looking forward? To what are you looking forward? And in what way are you looking forward? And maybe there's a previous question, and that is this, are you looking forward? And so as we kind of gather, I, I think, you know, this time of the year is a time when we, uh, we have all of these sort of official uh, greetings that go on, the ways in which we say, you know, to one another, hello or whatever. And of course, we can do the generic happy holidays. Uh, that gets us covered from uh, Thanksgiving through New Year's. So we can do that generic thing. Or it, it uh, demonstrates uh, our political correctness. Uh, so we can do that happy holidays thing. Uh, you could be more specific and say Merry Christmas, and that might uh, say something about your politics and your faith, uh, you know, or it might just mean you want to say Merry Christmas. And so you could also wish people, you know, good luck in the future by, by saying Happy New Year. All of these expressions are, you know, in play right now. We can say all of these things in one way or the other. So what I'm thinking is maybe we could advocate to add another phrase to the holiday season. Now, I have zero expectation that this is going to catch on, but I'm just trying to think about the reality that maybe it could be something that would be meaningful to you and meaningful to me. It, it, it comes up in the actual story of the birth of Jesus on the eighth day, and it's uttered by the prophet Simeon when he holds the baby and sees the baby for the first time. And this is what he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... 
Now, that doesn't really ring out much, so I, I figured we'd have to change it a little bit. And I, I, and I just wonder, you know, if maybe we said this to each other. If this became our greeting, even if it's just for today, it is, O oh, sovereign Lord, as you have promised. It is as you have promised. It is, Lord, as you have promised. That's what Simeon is saying. That's, that's what he's talking about. That after all of the things that have happened, after all of the period of silence, after the sweeping narrative that's covered all of these centuries, he's saying, it is as you have promised. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm not sure that's going to catch on. But here's the thing. I wonder why I so seldom feel or share that perspective about life. Why it is that I can't look at circumstances and look at situations and look at things that are going on around me and somehow in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit, feel that it is appropriate for me to say, it is, Lord, as you have promised. It is as you have promised. I know that life is presenting me with choices of how I look at the world, and, and this is what I find emotionally, and maybe you are way more mature than me, and you're further down the road than me, but what I find is that, that, that when I think about life, and I think about the future, and I think about circumstances, I find myself more often saying, why God? Why is it this way? Why are you doing it this way? Why are you allowing this or not fixing that? Instead of, it is sovereign Lord, as you have promised. And it seems to me that maybe while it won't catch on, at least maybe it's something you and I could breathe in and out over the next few hours. It's ironic because this very celebration, this very moment in time, the very fact that here we are 2,000 years later celebrating like this with more people around the world celebrating this event than any other religious holiday, that part of the reason that we are entered into this moment, ironically, is because God kept His promise. And that He has a track record of keeping His promise. And I, and I wonder why I don't emotionally more connect in this celebration of the fact that God keeps the promise. And maybe tonight we ought to breathe it in and breathe it out and, 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 and have that kind of breath prayer going on. It is, O Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. It is, O Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. It is, O Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. It would take some work on our perspective. It would take some work in what we see. Simeon is at the end of his life. He's waited and waited and waited and waited. And there are certainly people who see the current circumstances differently. They see Roman oppression they see hopelessness, they see taxation, they, they see the world falling apart. But somehow, Simeon, in the face of all of that reality, he stands there and he says, It is, O sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Anna subsequently sees the baby, holds the baby, and utters the same phrase. It is, sovereign Lord, as you have promised. And for Anna, we, we find out her story her husband died very young. She has lived her entire life without a husband in hardship. She's been at the temple praying and longing and searching and hoping and wishing. And, and now in this moment, this is how she chooses to see life. It is, O sovereign Lord, as you have promised. And I wonder, what do they know that I don't know? 
Maybe what they know is that they are talking about the great epic promise of God in His story. That while God in our little story sometimes is inexplicable and we don't understand it all, they are not just thinking about their own little story, they are thinking about God's story. And they're celebrating the fact that God is forever faithful and our little stories fit into that faithfulness. And it's something that maybe it would be good for me to think about and good for me to consider. It occurs to me that that's exactly what we're celebrating, that God keeps His promises to a thousand generations. Even when it seems like they're not being kept, even when it seems like things are falling apart, that God's not stumped by politics, that He's not overwhelmed by viruses, that, that the economy doesn't give Him any sort of anxiety at all, that fleeting empires don't define Him, that we are celebrating something that is eternal and permanent and to which you and I and our lives and our loved ones and our futures all belong that his heart, his mind, his core character are captured in this expression. It is, O sovereign Lord, as you have promised. It's what Paul is trying to teach us and connect us into in 2 Corinthians 1.19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. It's what Paul's trying to convey. Why do you flounder around? Why are you so worried? Why are you afraid? Why do you look to the future in such disarray? From now on, all of the answers are yes. They are yes in Christ. And so I'm praying that maybe on this Christmas Eve, we could share that expression. I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward to COVID coming to an end. I'm looking forward to life getting back on track. I'm looking forward to re-engaging in a social life. I'm looking forward to eating in a restaurant. I'm looking forward to traveling. What are you looking forward to? I mean, I know it's just an expression, but it's a fascinating expression. Do you say that often? Hey, I'm looking forward to something. I'm excited about something. I'm anticipating something. I'm hopeful. I'm expectant. To what are you looking forward? Here's my impression, and here's my confession. When most of us are looking forward what we see are things we dread. Details, uncertainty, upcoming problems, bills to pay, change, transition. What occupies your mind when you think about looking forward? It used to be an expression, I'm looking forward to, that used to be a positive statement, I'm looking forward to something good. Sometimes in this time of the year, we, we celebrate the past. There's a lot we can celebrate about the past. This is a very nostalgic time of the year. Some good things to hold on to traditionally. 
But how many of us also celebrate the potential of the future? In a season, we are celebrating that God keeps his promises. It is, O sovereign God, as you have promised. It's kind of ironic that the words looking forward has something to do with the disposition where you are facing. It doesn't mean looking in the past. It means looking forward. It means facing the future, facing forward. In what sort of disposition do you find yourself? Are you looking forward? Is there a celebration in you? I just want to confirm on this Christmas Eve, it is a celebration to which you are invited, a place of security in which you're invited to live, a place of anticipation, not in always going backwards, but in moving forward. So listen to the story, and I'll highlight just a few thoughts. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Jesus also went out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus and the name the, name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant. In peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said to him. In the midst of this sweeping epic where John wants us to understand that the story starts in the beginning, <coughs> in the moment of creation, the idea of Christ coming God coming in human form. 
was hatched. And so from the very beginning, this sweeping epic of everything that's caught up. And when you think about all that it involves leading up to this moment, even the, the New Testament narrative, it, it involves you know, the story of all the way back to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we don't really officially finish the nativity story for two years until the wise men finally depart and Jesus makes his way to Egypt and uh, all the symbolism that goes with that. And so you have this epic unfolding with all of these characters. And so just for a moment, let me ask you a few questions. It seems to me that these characters all look to the future in a unique and different way. Mary and Joseph see the future as an adventure, and they accept it. Mary and Joseph see the future as an adventure, and they accept it. They were invited to be a part of God's great narrative. They were invited to be a part of what God intended to do. And and that lifts Mary and Joseph in their story above the difficult circumstances of their own personal moment, of their own small story. And they were difficult circumstances. And they weren't the last ones. In fact, they were accepting in this moment an invitation of God, not to a happy life, but to a meaningful life. And it is the life they live. It is one in which they are invited to be instruments in God's great work. And then in the book of Acts, there's this transition that takes place in which you and I are described as being invited to the same exact thing, to be a part of God's great movement in the world. And so many of us, we look into the future and we, 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 we look at it and we wonder how the future is going to affect our little story. But God is inviting us to be a part of His great adventure. Will you accept it? Mary and Joseph saw the future as a great adventure with God and they accepted it. Are you anything like Mary and Joseph? Then besides Mary and Joseph and the story that's unfolding with them, there's the shepherds. The shepherds see their future as better, and they're all in. The fact of the matter is the shepherds don't have much going on. They don't have a very good life. And so when the angels suddenly appear to them and include them, they they see an opportunity for change. It's always this way, that the people who have the least are most excited about change, and the ones who have the most are the least excited about change. And the shepherds, they see this opportunity of the future as something better, and they jump in. They are not content to sit on the sidelines. They're not content to let it. They jump up. Let us go and see this thing which has been described to us. They're looking at it like this, man. We got nothing to lose. We got nothing to lose. It can only get better from here. And the shepherds, they saw the future as an opportunity for things to get better, as an opportunity for things to grow, as the opportunity for things to be better than they've ever been, and they jump in. Is that anything like you? That maybe on this Christmas Eve, in the middle of this narrative, that Mary and Joseph accepted this invitation of God and they saw the future as an adventure. The shepherds saw it as something better and they jumped in. Aren't you tired of sitting on the sidelines? Just waiting? Then along the way, there's this other two people, Simeon and Anna. And Simeon and Anna, they see the future as fulfillment and they're at peace. Simeon 
Simeon and Anna have a very rare view of the future. Their perspective in the world is that everything's coming together instead of falling apart. Now, it's been a crazy year. And I think if you wanted to talk about how things are falling apart, and a lot of you do, I get emails and I get folks telling me how maybe, uh, you know, I should be talking more about how things are falling apart, but it seems to me that this is my father's world. And that what is unfolding around us, whether it's to our liking or not, is in his hands. And it's not for me to panic. I think about Simeon and Anna, and I think about the fact that there were people all around them who were seeing the world falling apart. There were people all around them who who were crying out. There were people all around them in sheer panic. There were people all around them who were describing why God was getting cut out of the equation, why everything was going downhill. But Simeon and Anna, they saw the future as fulfillment of God's promises, and they were at peace. They saw the world coming together. They saw the plan coming together. They saw God's hand and providence and care weaving together. What might have been intended for evil was being used for good. What might have been intended to be something destructive, God turned around and turned it into something positive. And here's my question. Do you see the future as anything like Simeon and Anna? That maybe it's really coming together. And not falling apart. Number four, the wise men see the future as mystery and they want to experience it. The wise men are sort of out there. They're not in the middle of the story, but they know something's up. They see a star in the heavens. They see signs. They're indication that the future is taking a turn and it's mysterious. And whatever is happening, they decide this. I want to be a part of it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be over here in the wrong place at the wrong time. It would be easy in the face of things we don't understand to feel fear. But instead of feeling fear, these people said, you know what? I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to fear it. I'm going to get connected to it. I'm going to enter into the mystery and celebrate it. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to seek to understand it. I'm going to seek to experience it. I'm going to seek to grow. I'm going to seek to be different. I'm going to seek to mature. I don't have to be afraid of things I don't understand or I can't explain or I don't have all the answers to. In fact, I can put my shoes to the ground and walk towards an understanding and a learning and a growth. And it might take some sacrifice and it might take some effort, but I can take my life somewhere in the future because it's a mystery And I want to experience it. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to miss the next part of my life because I've gotten so involved in my small story that I'm missing the great things God is doing around me. And you can say, well, you know, what a convenient little sermon to preach on Christmas Eve. But listen, those people to whom Christ came, God in human flesh, they missed it. They were so involved in their little stories that they missed it, that they couldn't see it, that it passed them by, that they were in the very presence of God, and they couldn't reach out and touch or feel or allow God to touch them and change them and heal their life, their story, their friends, their loved ones, because they were so preoccupied with their own story. 
There's one last character I would mention, Herod. Herod, in the story, sees the future as threatening and fearful, and he seeks to control it. Herod was a mess. He had issues. By this time, he's destroyed his entire family because they are a threat to his way of life. They are a threat to his small story, so he gets rid of them. And now he sees the birth of Jesus as a threat to his future. And here's the thing. When we fear the future and we believe that the only way for us to overcome that fear is to control it, it gives us an excuse for treating the people around us terribly. It gives us an excuse for saying words and acting out in ways that are not healing and helpful and loving and kind and Christ-like and good. And they can be people in our own family, in our community, people who don't think like we think or believe what we believe. And when it threatens our little world, we lash out and we become hateful and mean and it becomes an excuse. We can treat people almost any way we want to simply because it is fear of the future that's driving our behavior, it's driving our attitudes. So let me just ask you, who are you more like in the story? Are you more like Mary and Joseph who saw the future as an adventure with God and you accept it? You accept the adventure? Are you more like the shepherds who say, I got nothing to lose, I'm all in. I, I, I just got, I'm just in. I'm just going to go with it. Are you more like Simeon and Anna who see fulfillment and you feel peace? God's in control. I don't have to figure it all out. Are you more like the wise men who say it's a mystery, but it's a mystery in which I choose to be involved. I choose to surrender my small story to the bigger story. I'm going to see how my small story fits into this. I don't understand it. I'm going to grow. I'm going to change. I'm going to stay at it. Are you more like Herod, afraid of the future and trying to control, control people, control attitudes, control outcomes? We've been thinking and praying together about this service and about Christmas Eve and about how you celebrate at a time like this. And, and so we're going to take a moment. And our talented team has put together a gift for you on this Christmas Eve. And in a moment, Eric's going to explain it to you and then we're going to share it with you. It's called Hallelujah, a Cry in the Dark, and it sort of captures this whole sense and spirit of how we might feel about the future and maybe the emotions you've experienced in the last few days and weeks and months, but another way that you might look to the future, another way in which you might look forward. So I invite you to just take a moment, gather around, quiet your hearts, quiet everybody, Here's our gift to you on this Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas.
the shine of the lights I've been searching for you It feels like you left me here There's just no denying Through all of the doubt and the fear Are you willing to find me down here?
And Lord, that's our celebration. That the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a new light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he will be called Emmanuel, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As we light this final candle, it is every expression of our heart that claims that your promises are true. Not only are they true 2,000 years ago in a little manger in Bethlehem, but they're true in every home, in every family, in every heart, in every mind, in every circumstance. It is, O sovereign God, as you have promised. You will never leave us, and you will never forsake us. You are the light of life. May we celebrate it together in this family, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we're going to light the final candle and you'll have to use your imagination because here we go. Beautiful moment. And there it is. <laughs> and so if you want to take it one step further, you can get yourself an individual cam. But I just want to, as you think about it, I hope we could say over and over and over and over to each other, to ourselves, to our heart, we could breathe it in and breathe it out. It is, O oh sovereign God, as you have promised. Merry Christmas to you. Would you help us welcome in the celebration of Christmas? Let's sing together. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.